everybody. Welcome to the Kind Mind Podcast. This is Todd. Thank you for making time to listen today. Just a couple things before we jump into this new episode. I want to remind you that we have in-person Kind Mind gatherings on the last Tuesday of every month. So this coming Tuesday, August 30th at 7 p.m., we'll be at the Homestead in Plano, Illinois. You can find more info on the website. Also, for those of you supporting this work on Patreon, we're also offering occasional poetry pop-ups. Think of this as a very short, intimate, 30-minute poetry club. And we have one tonight, which is Thursday, August 25th at 7 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. Central Time on Zoom. And we're going to be discussing the poem The Guest House by Rumi. So I welcome your feedback and input to develop that as well. You may have noticed I'm improving the rate of getting these episodes out, and that's because of your help, your support. And if you can pitch in $5 on the Patreon, that will help me to continue to be able to do so. So thank you again for your support. And this episode, Differentiating Failure from Defeat, is about decoupling the two because they are similar and then remarrying them in the end. And these are just ideas. These are two concepts. Language is hard. It's always limited. So I just simply invite you to take whatever mental models are useful to you to help you become a healthier, happier person. I mentioned the story of the sage Maharishi Panini who was a grammarian and revered scholar of Sanskrit in ancient India. We talked about his humble beginning and apparent defeat, but how he overcame it, to write a book that, ironically, I mispronounced, called Ashtadhyayi, which has stood the test of time as a linguistic masterpiece. He's even known as the father of linguistics. The only other thing I would like to add here is that when younger people are prodigious or even especially precocious or avoidant as more and more social anxiety holds young people back from attempting things that would be meaningful to them or trying new things, that lack of failure can be paralyzing and When it comes later on without the practice, without the exposure to setback, can really translate to false defeat in adulthood. The famous Green Bay Packers football coach, Vince Lombardi, once said something like, we never fail, we simply run out of time. Well, as always, I hope you find something useful and meaningful in this episode. I welcome your feedback and hope to connect at one of the upcoming events soon. Thank you. We're talking about failure and defeat tonight, and I just want to start out by acknowledging the first definition of failure, the, just the basic lack of success or an unsuccessful person, 
or enterprise or thing. And in this modern technological era, failure is in vogue. It's become hip to fail. There's even a FailCon, an annual conference where founders of tech startups can go and meet other executives and entrepreneurs and learn from all the failures of, of other tech companies. Tonight, we're going to start by exploring the crust of this concept, failure. And of course, with the internet, now there's a proliferation of famous failures, like um, Walt Disney being fired from a, from a newspaper for not being creative enough, or Lincoln losing, I think, seven elections in a row before winning the presidency. I learned recently that the author, I think his name is Jack Canfield, the author of Chicken Soup for the Soul, was rejected 137 times, I think, by publishers or literary agents before being accepted. And of course, that one book turned into an entire industry of soup for the soul, chicken noodle or chicken soup for the healthcare worker soul. I mean, every kind of soul now has a chicken soup book. So it became a multi-million dollar enterprise, but it had a bunch of unsuccessful attempts. Same with, I think, J.K. Rowling with the Harry Potter series. And of course, we know famous athletes had famous failures before reaching their potential. In my own experience as a musician, I really didn't have much early success. Actually, I never really had much success overall. But in college at Georgetown, I was really passionate about music. And I, I pretty much failed at every attempt to do something musically in school with respect to any tryouts or any auditions for groups or for singing troops, even bands. And I became pretty good friends, though, with the very best singers and songwriters and musicians of, on campus. And uh, but yet was, you know, never really um, accepted into any any of those opportunities. But I was not discouraged by that because I really had a deep passion for music and keeping in touch with a lot of those musicians I came to realize that their passions pretty much everybody's they're really faded out or burned out pretty quickly after school and mine just continued so it was like uh, it was mine was like a slow burning charcoal compared to a quick flash for for some of the other artists there but looking back, I do realize that they were definitely more talented than me, at least early on. And had I not had some of those failures, or perceived failures, I might not have had the determination to really make a mark musically and to build something with other musicians to ultimately share music with millions of people around the world. But the clarity of my purpose was there with some of those early setbacks. I think sometimes when we have those kind of failures or perceived failures, that can be enough to turn us away for good. And we're going to explore the wisdom in failure and what we can 
extract from those experiences to help us on our personal, psychological, and spiritual journeys. But now I'd like to invite you into a reflection with me. So that's that's kind of a basic, a more basic understanding of failure at the surface. Gertrude Stein said, real failure needs no excuses. It's an end in itself. So this speaks to what I've been saying so far that we got to dare our, ourselves to fail. IBM co-founder, I think it was, Thomas J. Watson said famously, if you want to double your success rate, double your failure rate. But what I want you to think about, what is the difference between failure and defeat, if there is a difference? I have no conclusive opinion on it, but I think it's worth investigating together. I mean, I have ideas, but I don't have, I feel like I don't have an answer, so it's hard to That's talk okay. about it. What, what are mean, some ideas that come up for you, Danielle? Like, for me, defeat feels, so they both, if you wanted to like define them, seem to be, um, you have a goal or a, something you want, you don't get it, then it's either failure, defeat, whatever. Defeat to me has more kind of sorrow to it almost, or more, um, I, I saw somebody in the chat just flash up, loss of hope to it to me versus failure seems more almost kind of mechanical like a check the box you did it you didn't defeat feel defeated to me just seems more kind of sad in a way which isn't it's it's a weird way to answer the question but that's no i think there's a lot of a lot of wisdom to what you're saying that there is there is that subtle difference yeah failure maybe is a little more binary you did it or didn't do it. The business is still going or it's not still going. The marriage is still going or it's not still going and so on. And defeat has, you know, a different character. I appreciate that. Does that stir up anything for anyone else? Yeah, hi Todd, this is Dave. Hey Dave. Yeah, I've I I actually thought about this quite a bit, actually, considering. Um, when I when I when I've always, when I've really thought about failure in one sense, I actually don't really I don't want to say I don't believe in the concept because my concept is and when you said defeat, that actually kind of answers my question because I've always said well failure only really exists if you give up. You know if if you know if I go and I I try to do something and, it, and I don't succeed, as long as I keep going and try to do it again you know, I haven't really failed. It's just, there's a, there's a saying that I heard too, and this kind of brings to my thought process on the thing, is uh, they asked uh, Thomas Edison, he failed like a thousand times to create the electric light bulb. And when they asked him how he felt failing that much, he says, I haven't failed a thousand times. I just figured out a thousand ways not to make a light bulb. <laughs> That's what the saying is, whatever. <laughs> right. And so I've always thought that way, you know, kind of thought that way i mean i've talked about them like as long as i don't give up you know the, the lesson that you learn from failure is actually priceless anyway you know that lesson that where it's like you're traveling down the path and okay this is the way you don't do this well that's a lesson and if you use it as that you can kind of take it the next thing where defeat to me that answers the other question for me is 
Defeat is like, okay, I failed and I'm not going to try again. I'm done. You know, I've given up. That's kind of defeated. I like what you said too about in that quote from Thomas Edison, you really have one of the the keys to the scientific method, which is, which is what's so beautiful about the scientific method, how failure is baked into the process. You observe nature, you make a hypothesis about what you're observing, and then you begin testing for failure to see, to, you're, you're looking for how that hypothesis can fail. And if we can remember that in our, in our own life, we have these hypotheses about ourselves, about our life, about the reality of, uh, of our experiences, and we forget to be scientific with our point of view. We forget to f- try to test it, to try to see how it can be wrong, to actually seek out its failure. So yeah, and I, li- and I like what you said about, you know, defeat has the, the quality of, okay, the, the, there's something, there's something a little bit more maybe definitive about that, whereas a failure is, could be more of an interpretation in our mind or a temporary stumbling block or hurdle that doesn't mean we, we necessarily need to get off the, the track. So yeah, I appreciate those reflections. Thanks, Dave. Anybody else have something to share? Hey, everybody. Yeah, very similar to Dave, but I think, you know, failure is part of an ongoing process. You know, it's a long-term process of growth and learning. And I mean, failure is kind of a rough word to use, but, you know, human improvement is iteration, you know, iterating, learning, trying, you know, failing, learning from that, you know, continuing to grow. So this iterative process of getting better each day, failure's the backbone of it. And I think people that do well, you know, learn to love failure. You know, most of anything I've ever accomplished in my life was was not in spite of the failure, it was precisely because of it, because of learning from failure. Very similar to what has been said before. Whereas I think defeat is kind of an end game. It sounds like, you know, like, you know, I'm defeated, it's over. Uh, whereas failure is can be viewed very positively. That's kind of how I looked at it. Yeah, I appreciate that. Patty said failure is a lesson. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of lessons, I think, in our failures. I'll read Hannah's statement. Defeat feels debilitating to me. Yeah, it has that, uh, that real wall-like feeling, like some form of rejection. Failure I learn from more easily, obviously. Yeah, so I think that, that aligns with what some others have been saying. Defeat for me comes with a sense of loss. And Sally said, defeat seems finished while failure brings a new path. So I I like how all of these reflections kind of, you know, add, they they all adorn this, this same canvas. But I think it'll be interesting for us to reflect further in this meeting tonight about whether or not we conflate the two when we actually encounter some of these experiences. And if there's maybe just more radical honesty in our journey to be had by by differentiating or distinguishing the two. Yolanda, do you mind sharing? Yes, I, I like to think that 
failing has been a propelling force in my experience. Um, when I lived in Mexico, I failed my English class. And when I was in, on, my, on the airplane ride on the way to the States, I made up my mind that I would learn to speak English better than I spoke Spanish. And I wound up teaching in English as a second language uh, at the high school where I first came. And there weren't any ESL teachers. So for me, failure has become a source of strength and challenges have become definitely the propelling force of my, of my life in general. That's powerful. I appreciate you sharing that. And yeah, failure can be sort of like the banks of our river that that although they seem like the, the these imposing limitations, they actually give us our forward motion. Thank you for sharing that. Could defeat be, be when one loses hope? That certainly could be a way to interpret the experience of defeat or whether or not there actually is hope or not. It certainly could describe the, the emotional experience, I would imagine. Thank you for that. Lindsay shares, I always like Shorin. Uh, thoughts on failure. Failure is essential and reveals us to ourselves, our inwardness. There was a, a sage who wrote one of the two most famous epics of India, the Ramayana. The other epic being the Mahabharata. Where you have the, which contains the Bhagavad Gita. But in the Ramayana, the sage Valmiki says, says at one time, rejection by all is victory. That really stood out to me when I was reading different spiritual texts of the East. Because it sounds like, you know, it sounds like total failure or total defeat, uh, like complete loss of, of all hope. And then when I contemplated it further, it's just like, as Lindsay's saying here, that if you, were to, if you were to be totally defeated, totally rejected in every way, there would be nowhere to turn but your soul. You would be so cornered that you would be merged into the pure being, I suppose. So any rejection or any failure, I think, does orient us inward and as I've said before, inward leads upward, outward leads downward. So inward and upward is the opposite of down and out. As, as we continue here, I'd now like you to think back on your experiences, your setbacks, your, your failures, so-called failures, and think if you have a favorite one. This was a great question that I learned from the podcast host and author, Tim Ferriss. He has a book called Tribe of Mentors, where he sought out so many thought leaders and visionary artists, and he presented them with a series of questions. And one of them was, do you have a favorite failure? And the answers in this book are really provocative, but it, it reflects everything that you're all sharing tonight. So we can be thinking about a failure of ours that stands out as, as a favorite failure. Everything that you've shared so far, I think makes sense. And if I were to summarize these differences between failure and defeat based on, on what 
you've all shared. If I were to find a thread to it all, I would say that failure is missed opportunity and defeat is denied opportunity. Making this distinction with all the interpretations and perspectives that you've offered, you can kind of get a sense why they, why they each have a little bit different sting. Definitely failure is meaningful and helps us grow. But that doesn't mean we enjoy it, right? That doesn't mean we like it or that we hope our next endeavor will fail. But they have different flavors of pain. Now, when we go, go off of this idea of missing an opportunity, that means we have the sense we could have done something differently. We could have done more. When I've presented this question to clients and patients, I'll often hear somebody say, defeat can happen even though you did everything you could, or there was nothing more that could have been done, and yet you still may encounter defeat. Whereas in failure, what is the growth? The growth is actually the intelligence of what could be done differently, what could be done better. Right, so it, so it is a stepping stone to success. But it has its own pain, especially when it comes to something like relationships. To know there was a missed opportunity in a relationship can get people stuck. And this is why I think self-forgiveness also fits in here with our stumbles. Because we have to be able to be compassionate with ourselves for not having the foresight that is so obvious in hindsight. If you trace the etymology now of the, of the word fail, it's so close to fall and has roots in French and, and Latin, uh, falir, which means to stumble. And the way I interpret this metaphysically is that one fails when they don't take a sure-footed step or you don't do something enthusiastically. You do it half-assed or you, you stumble into something. So why do we fall? Because we, we're not mindful when we take that step. And the pain is that we realize all we had to do was embrace the opportunity. And then that opportunity passes us by. And the reason why people get stuck and have a hard time with self-forgiveness is because the wisdom has dawned about what could be done better. But the person, the person then is oriented to the past, is reconstructing the past. You, you see your clear misstep, and then a person gets stuck in a pattern of rumination, playing the scene over and over and over. If it's a mistake in a relationship, if it's a mistake in business, if only I had said this instead of this. If only I didn't react in that way. Or if only I had showed up in love and been more present, I wouldn't have lost that person. And, and so it's clear that you have the lesson, but a person isn't using it in that moment to build the future. And I think we can get better at forgiving ourselves when we unbind our heart to that moment where we feel like we lost our happiness. We stop searching there and rebuilding there. But you take that and you go, you go forward. When we look at defeat, defeat has been borrowed from French, defe. In Latin, facere, or 
D for cherry. And the D is negation. And facere is to do. So simple early meaning of defeat was to destroy or undo. It doesn't quite mean destroy anymore as civilization has evolved to have all these games where there are winners and losers, especially zero-sum games like we see in sports. There's a winner, there's a loser. And what the loser loses, the winner takes. Whereas there are other non-zero-sum games where not there's not clear winners and losers. People are trying to solve problems. When one person has a success, the group moves forward. So there's different, there's different kinds of games. But so much of economic and social gaming is zero-sum. And so we've kind of lost this, this uh, definition of destruction. But I think it's still meaningful in terms of psychology. And, and same with the undoing. Divacere. Because if the doership, the doing of anything, leads to ego. Ego, one definition of ego is the sense of doership. I'm doing. I made this. I built this. I achieved this. The problem with that with ego is it takes somebody out of the wider context of nature. It removes man from nature. Man imagines oneself to be doing something independent of nature, or to nature, or even against nature. That's largely illusory. However, defeat breaks that down. I thought of six or seven lessons from this deconstruction. The setback of failure or the undoing of defeat. And again, if defeat is really this wall, this impenetrable obstacle, or this denial of opportunity, or denial of justice or fairness, then it does prompt us inward to probe the, the halls of our, of our very being. But I've thought of several lessons that can come out of this, and then why it's important to remove our fear of failure. Because if you think of our life originally as small children, I think failure is something, fear of failure is something that's learned as we grow socially conscious and socially anxious. We get afraid of what other people are going to think about our failure. And most psychosocial studies show that it matters to others way less than we think it does. So there's a cognitive bias there. But children aren't really afraid of failure. From the very beginning, a, a baby trying to walk has so many more failures than it does successes. And that in no way deters the infant from continuously pursuing his or her potential. Now, can you imagine baby takes a step and falls and goes, this walking thing isn't for me. They just keep going. But later, we learn to be afraid to fail. There was a study done with 111 
elementary students, I think, was the, was the age group. And they were all tasked with a difficult problem to solve. But half of the group was in the experimental section. And the teacher gave that half of the group a pep talk about not being afraid to fail. That failure is totally okay. It's a natural part of growing and a stepping stone to success. And then the 111 kids worked on the problem and none of them could solve it. But those that didn't get the pep talk struggled more with their memory capacity, which is important for solving problems. They also, it was hypothesized that they had higher levels of stress and more feelings of incompetence. So it speaks to the fear of judgment, the fear of failure, and how if we can overcome that, if we can work through that, if we can break through that, we can really be a lot more successful in life because we'll have more access to our inner resources. So here are some of the lessons that, that I've reflected on, and I'm sure there's more, but you're welcome to listen to this and see what you think. The first one that comes from failure is humility. Both failure and defeat, I think, teach us humility in a way that early success cannot. And we often see on the largest stages, artists, athletes, business people, politicians, they may enjoy some early success and they have an inflated sense of their self-worth or their or grandiose thoughts about their skill levels. And then later they may be dealt a devastating blow that really um, cripples them psychologically or, you know, artists, athletes, someone like Michael Phelps, right, was in rehab after all that Olympic success. Because if you're not if you're not used to to failure, it can it can be pretty devastating. But when people succeed after having failure, they deal with success a lot differently. We see this in more stoic people where they know success is just one kind of the coin and every success ought to lead to bigger failures. Success is never the end. It ought to just inspire our next daring attempt. Somebody like Evil Knievel, every time he jumped over a canyon or a river or something, he attempted something, something scarier. And he had a lot of failures, obviously. I think he has the Guinness Book of World Records for most broken bones. So success can even block humility from us because it can distort our, the reality of our place in nature. The second one is creativity. Failure forces us to look at life differently. It forces us to look at a problem differently. And the poet John Keats mentions something uh, about negative capability. It sounds like a paradox. But what he meant was when one is capable of sitting with uncertainty and being immersed in mystery and doubt, that is the ideal state for creativity. And he, and he goes on to say, without irritably reaching for fact or reason to get out of the uncertainty. And that's kind of what failure does to us. It makes us really uncertain. Is this really what I'm here to do? Can I really get better at this thing? 
Am I really cut out to be an actor or a musician? Am I going to have a family or not? Am I going to be worthy of love? It's a kind of scary space. And if you think of like some of your all-time favorite albums or works of art, aren't they often born out of serious pain or failure? You may also notice artists that you've really loved throughout history. Not so much today, because I think the music industry, they reward teenagers with uh, the, you know, the biggest accolades, and and then they just you know cast them aside as soon as they're adults. So I think we have you know distorted art culture. But historically, you know, when you think of great artists, great songwriters, great musicians. The struggle, right? the failure, the repeated failure to, to be relevant, to be heard, or to break through yields just some of the most poignant verses or strokes on the canvas. And then they're successful. And the, the fans will be like, it seems like they've lost a little bit of the magic. There is some, something to the starving artist and the passion that comes from the sacrifice. So, yes, yeah, so the second one is creativity. You may know the famous uh, quote, necessity is the mother of invention. When you fail, something needs to change. And that gives birth to new ideas. Another way to think of this, lack of resources breeds creativity. When you don't have a tool, the tool that you need, you start looking at nature differently. You, know, you become creative with what's available in nature. The third one builds off of the second one, and that is clarity of purpose. Like Keith said, when you fail, you're kind of mired in uncertainty. But that can really be a defining moment. Like I mentioned with my lack of success with music earlier in my young adulthood, that, that did not deter me from wanting to make music. Whether it was going to be appreciated or not, I felt was outside of my control and became less, less of a concern of mine. Improving myself became my, my true passion with it. I was in love with the instruments enough to keep going with it regardless of whether or not anyone else thought I would, would be any good. I've mentioned Rainer Maria Rilke recently and his uh, published work, Letters to a Young Poet. And in his first letter, he's telling the aspiring writer, Franz Kappes, when you enter into some solitude, think about whether or not you could live without writing. If you know you can, that may be enough to forbid you from doing it. So failure can really clarify that for us. It can distill our true purpose. If you fail and, and that's enough to send you packing, then it's probably better that you fail early. The fourth one, failure leads to bigger and better success. You know, I've had experiences, well, like one that comes to mind was when I wanted to 
do a, um, a meditation training program in India and you had to apply because there was a very limited amount of spaces for this program. The application involved some, some statements, some writing, some reflection, because they wanted people that were going to be truly serious about meditation and being able to adapt to the monastic life. It was a, a monastic environment. And the, the first time I applied, I was denied or I was rejected. And it was a three-month program, but I stepped back, I reflected, and I thought, no, this is still what I really want to do. I want to have this experience. And I applied again some years later, and that time the course was offered, it was the only time that it was ever going to be twice as long. So a six-month training was offered multiple years after my rejection, and I was accepted to that. Had I been accepted the first time, that was the only time I would have been able to do it. You only can do it, do it once in, in this course in India, and it would have been three months. But instead, because of my failure and because of my purpose, I got to go for twice as long. So I got to take a bigger swing. And when you think about this with money, finance, relationships, if you get the success in the first attempts and they're smaller attempts, well, then you may, uh, you may plateau. The harder the struggle, the sweeter the success is. So there's some kind of initiation bias here. Your failure is like an initiation ceremony into success. You see that with athletes and champions that fight so hard to get to the top of the mountain and that when they get there, you know, they almost have an emotional breakdown because of that breakthrough. The fifth one, similar to, to the previous, is personal growth. When you fail, you're outside of your comfort zone. We may know that failure is useful, that failure is ultimately the stepping stone to success. That doesn't mean it feels good when we're in it. And we know the effects. We've seen the MRI studies of brains when a person is failing. It doesn't look good. And when a person is in success, there's, you know, this beautiful reward symmetry going on and inspiration and person feels feels a real high so when when you're dealing with failure even if you know you're going to have to fail that's going to take failures to figure things out you're outside of what feels good and being outside of the comfort zone is necessary to grow you can't grow inside of the comfort zone so that tension that anxiety pushes our limitations further. It stretches our potential. If you think of uh, a failure psychologically as an injury physically, when we break a bone or tear a ligament or, or sprain a joint, especially when we're younger, I mean, this is a little different when, when people are in advanced age, but when we're younger, our body has this tremendous capacity to heal and to heal rather quickly. And when that bone or joint or ligament heals, it's usually stronger than it was before. 
The same is true psychologically. When we heal from our disappointment, we have more resilience. We have more inner strength. I remember when I sprained my ankle very badly my senior year of high school playing basketball. It healed probably in like two or three weeks. Now that would take two or three months. But when it did, I could, I could dunk for the first time. I could dunk the basketball because it was so strong. It gave me like two, three, four more inches of elevation in my leaping ability because the joints and the ligaments were so much more powerful. So the same is true with intelligence and learning. We fail, we see things differently, we process that information, and then we grow forward. And then the sixth one is social insight. When you fail, you get some truth into the quality of your relationships. Uh, especially when your failure is some kind of mistake of character. You said something wrong, you did something wrong, uh, you broke a law, you hurt somebody, and then you, you get a glimpse into the true dynamic of your inner circle or the people on the periphery, where they really stand in relation to you. I think success can reveal a lot about friendship as well, but, but there are many people that can be yes people in, when people are having great success. They can be agreeable, they, uh, they can ride the coattails of opportunity or financial windfall. But when you fail, and when you fail big, and people are with you, are right there with you, um, it says something deep about trust and about our connections. And then the last one is the spiritual benefit of a step towards self-actualization. The failures that we go through, I think, prompt us into existential inquiry. When we're succeeding in life, in relationships, in business, that's enough to be intoxicated with favor, with popularity, with power, with possessions. And yet, the, the truth is all of that is going to vanish in a heartbeat because life is very short. So if you're intoxicated with that, you can be very far from self-actualization. If this isn't a reason to court failure or to, to strive to be defeated, it's just to say that when it comes, have the stoic attitude about it. You know, like Epictetus said, when you lose something, don't think I lost it. Try to think the truth that it has gone back because it was never mine to keep. Whether it's a person, a thing, a possession, a title, a status, praise. When you lose the praise, I've given the given it back. So it's, it's enlightening to be defeated, to be rejected. And as Sage Valmiki said, rejection by all would be the equivalent of victory. There would be nowhere else to go but into the soul. I'd like to share with you a 
part of a poem that I found recently. When we think about the pain of missed opportunity, how that failure really stings, because we don't know if we'll ever get that opportunity back again. The poet is Louise Erdrich. You are here to be swallowed up, and when it happens that you are broken, or betrayed, or left, or hurt, or death brushes too near, let yourself sit by an apple tree and listen to the apples falling all around you in heaps, wasting their sweetness. Tell yourself that you tasted as many as you could. I really love that. Because that's, that is the pain, that we had something to give, to share, in love, in work, in business, in health, and we missed it. That is truly wise. Because when you really look all around you, that's happening all the time at every level of nature. So taking that pain, that wisdom, making it a baptism into our spiritual nature. Thank you for sharing that, Bob. Yeah, and I would add that life has the character of you know, one long mistake itself. It's sort of like, if I'm destined to age where all of my processes will fail. What really is success? And this is another interesting definition of failure, which is the omission of the function. So, so one way to think of uh, failure is negation. And that's why I say one way to summarize all of it is missed opportunity, the step you didn't take. But when a business fails, we just mean it's not continuing or it, it stopped succeeding or it never succeeded. When your heart fails, it's no longer beating. When a marriage fails, we say it ended in separation or divorce. This idea kind of permeates culture and I don't, I don't think it's so healthy because it if you applied it to life, it would be like saying, because life ends in death, life is a failure. By that definition, right? Because a relationship ends in divorce, someone says that they had a failed marriage or they, they had two failed marriages. Well, that doesn't seem like, like a healthy definition, right, of a failure, just that something ends. Something lasting. That can't be enough to be the definition of success. So yeah, I think when you when you reflect on the wisdom of Dogen, like Bob shared, this is the nature of life. This is like the pairs of opposites in Taoism. Success and failure. In the season of failure, you plant the seeds of success. So just simply make your mind prepared for the next opportunity. They say chance favors the prepared mind. They, there's a lot of shame, right, with it, with failures that happen with mental illness. But what I also see when people work on their recovery is that they give a great gift to their children without realizing it. And that is the willingness to, or I should say the, the negative capability, as Keats said, 
to be with failure. When parents don't fail very obviously, it seems to contribute to the perfectionism of social anxiety that's proliferating among younger generations. So having an example of failure and recovery or failure and growth and personal growth has a, a profoundly, I think, positive impact I want to read a poem by Khalil Gibran entitled Defeat. But we can listen with a contemplative mind and try to make it an auditory meditation. So I, I do invite you now to relax at this time and allow yourself to sit comfortably. Try to tune into the sense of hearing and let the words echo in your mind then just notice what arises in you. Notice what sensations you feel in your body. Notice any emotions that are stir stirred up or memories that arise. And just try to meet all of those experiences serenely. Here we go. Defeat. My defeat. My solitude and my aloofness. You are dearer to me than a thousand triumphs, and sweeter to my heart than all world glory. Defeat my defeat, my self-knowledge and my defiance. Through you I know that I am yet young and swift of foot, and not to be trapped by withering laurels. And in you I have found aloneness, and the joy of being shunned and scorned. Defeat, my defeat, my shining sword and shield. In your eyes I have read that to be enthroned is to be enslaved, and to be understood is to be leveled down, and to be grasped is but to reach one's fullness, and like a ripe fruit to fall and be consumed. Defeat, my defeat, my bold companion. You shall hear my songs and my cries and my silences, and none but you shall speak to me of the beatings of wings and urging of seas and of mountains that burn in the night, and you alone shall climb my steep and rocky soul. Defeat, my defeat, my deathless courage, you and I shall laugh together with the storm, and together we shall dig graves for all that die in us, and we shall stand in the sun with a will, and we shall be dangerous. So thank you, I hope you enjoyed that poem. I will find a new writing from Khalil Gibran just at the right moment, at the right time in my life. I'll conclude with this wisdom story from the, it's a true story actually, from the Vedic period of India, which was corresponding with the Bronze Age, I believe, but it was near the end of the Vedic era, so around 500 BC, I believe. There was a, a man named Panini who was a student at uh, what was called the Gurukulam, which was the, the school of the, or, and the hermitage of the sage. So in those days, 
the students from like seven years old to maybe 17 years old when you go to school, they went to the forest environment to learn from usually sages and their family, sage and spouse together. Well, anyways, Panini was a student in this forest and the sage teacher is trying to impart a lesson to him. The young Panini doesn't understand, asks him to repeat the lesson. He does, still he can't understand. And then the, the teacher begins to lose his patience. Finally, he calls out to the young student and asks him to show him the palm of his hand. He wants to look at his education line. This is the lifeline. This is the headline or wisdom line. This is the love line. And in between the ring finger and middle finger, about this far, is the study line or education line. And like Panini, I don't have one. It may be very subtle on some hands or you may have to kind of crunch your hand a little bit to see what appears. So upon seeing this, the sage says, Oh, I see what's going on here. You're not fit for study. So I'm instructing you to go back home, back to the village. I'll inform your family that, that it doesn't work. Don't be upset. Education's not for everybody. Panini didn't accept it. The young boy took out his blade that he used to cut vegetables for the seva in the, in the hermitage for preparing lunch. Young Panini cut his own study line, comes back to the teacher and says, I have a, a proper line now, will you accept me as a student? And this determination moved the sage so much that he, he accepted Panini back into the hermitage and he, he was humbled by that gesture and told him, you know, your determination will triumph over any failure. Anyways, the story goes on that, that uh, Panini grew into a great sage himself. He authored a book called the, uh, I think it's called the Adyasti. Uh, anyways, it is a book of Sanskrit grammar that to this day is still used for understanding all languages of the world. It was, it was such a, um, such an elegant work that has uh, inspired for centuries and centuries. But anyways, his story originated with feeling like he, th this could be a failure of his, but also encountering defeat. <laughs>